Today on the Leadership Superpowered Podcast, I have Cindy Miller of Cindy Miller Golf, and she has a fascinating story of how she got from college to the LPGA and then into professional consulting. And today she talks about her superpower of helping teams learn how to get, do, and be better. It's really cool. Uh, Let's get right into it. Hey there. Today we have Cindy Miller on the podcast of uh, Cindy Miller Golf. And um, she's got not only a really interesting story, but is a great person. I've known her for a long time. And uh, just a pleasure to have you here, Cindy. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. Um, So why don't we start with, you have a really interesting story. Uh, You kind of came into consulting and helping businesses and executives grow and be better from an unusual angle. So let's start with that because it's such a fun story and then we'll tie it together with what you're doing now. Most of my life I've been told you're not good enough. And I grew up in a family that played golf. My parents would drag me to the country club every weekend and the pool was my babysitter. I didn't like golf until I got fat in eighth grade and all the cute boys started to call me 10-ton Tessie. And I quickly found an aversion to swimming, but my only other choice was the golf course. And I started to hit balls, and I was actually pretty good at it, and I took some lessons. And my mom and her friends took me to an LPGA Tour event when I was 17. And I saw these women playing golf and hitting the ball with these huge golf bags with their names on it and beautiful clothes and brand new shoes. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. And I came home and I said, I'm going to play on the tour. And my dad said, okay, great. You're not good enough. And he said, well, you have to find a place where you can play golf and learn how to get better. So there was no internet at the time. I wrote to the Ben Hogan Golf Club Company because I played their clubs and Golf Digest Magazine because I read their magazine. So I assumed they would care about me. And they actually wrote back with a list of schools that had women's golf programs. Now, little did I know at the time that this is beginning of Title IX. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. I live in a small town south of Buffalo. And um, the school that stood out was the University of Miami. And needless to say, it would stand out for you, too, if you lived in Buffalo. I wrote to them and asked if I could be on their golf team. And they said, "Um, you're not good enough. Well, I wrote back and I said, well, can I be a walk-on? Can I try to play? And then, you know, can I maybe be on the team? And they said, well, yeah, you can come and try, but you'll probably never make it. Well, my dad said, you've got one year to earn a scholarship or you have to come home. This place is too expensive and we can't afford it. So I never visited the school. I got dumped at my dorm by a family friend who was a captain for an airline company who lived in Coral Gables, Florida. I sat on the bed and I cried. And after my pity party, I got up and I started to hit balls. And then I found a coach and then I hit more balls. And then I graduated the number one player on that team. And we won back-to-back national championships my junior and senior year. And I was voted team captain and All-American. Well, then the next step was go to the qualifying school. Well, I went to the school and I didn't make it. Again, you're not good enough. So my dad had died when I was a junior in college. I got in the car and I drove from Buffalo to California to play on the mini tour to get good enough. And I won a mini tour event that season. And then I qualified for the tour on the next qualifying school. 
uh, I, I only played for three years because of the best in the world. I was the worst. Again, you're not good enough. So I married a PGA Tour player who played in the Masters five times. We're the only married couple in the world that have played on the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, the Champions Tour, and the Legends Tour. And I thought, well, if I can't be good, I'm going to make him good. Um, you can't try to make somebody be somebody they're not. Long story short, I saw 25 years after I played the tour that there was a Legends Tour for former LPGA Tour players. So it was then that I said, you know, are you going to let the dream you had when you were 17 years old be a nightmare that would haunt you the rest of your life? Or are you willing to look in the mirror and do something about it and get better? Because when I called the Legends Tour to ask him if I could play, what do you think they said? You're not good enough. Not so, good enough. right. I picked up my clubs and I practiced. I qualified to play on the Symmetra Tour, which is the mini tour for the LPGA Tour. I applied to be on a television reality series on the Golf Channel called The Big Break. So I was the token old lady on The Big Break show. Why did I do that? Because I knew that if I was standing over a shot on the 18th hole, tied for the lead, having to hit a shot over water with thousands of people watching me, I would throw up. So, in fact, that's the little voice that, that's what the voice said to me. We both know you need to do this show. So I applied to be on the show. There were thousands of people that tried to apply, and I was the old lady. And I ended up coming in third in the show. Well, the next Legends Tour mm -hmm. event after that, I was, um, I birdied the 17th hole on the last day. And I walked to the 18th tee, tied for the lead, having to hit a shot over water with thousands of people watching me. Again, that same scenario that had happened in my head a year earlier. So I hit the shot on yeah. the green, I two-putted for par, and my buddy ends up birdieing 17, and she won. But I made $33,500 for coming in second. I proved to myself the dream that I had when I was 17 years old to be a star on the LPGA Tour wasn't a nightmare that would haunt me the rest of my life. It took me till I was 48 years old to prove that. But along the way, what I found was sometimes people whine and complain about what they don't get. And they have to be willing to stop whining and get off the nail and do something about their life mm -hmm. if they really want what they say they want. So in that mix, I went to get certified in behavior and motivation and judgment. And I did that because my husband and I were having some issues. He was an alcoholic. He tried to commit suicide. I filed for divorce. And I had gone to a seminar that a woman was teaching, and she had written a book called Personality Plus. And it had an assessment in it about who you are. And I was so, I had never heard of this stuff, right? Being a golf pro, I, I never heard of a disc assessment. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I, I took, I bought the book. I took the assessment. I read off all my, his weaknesses to him, to my husband. Right. And I was like, wow, I had a delayed intelligence attack. You can't help yourself. I thought you acted like this on purpose just to drive me nuts. So it was so interesting to me that I am now certified in this. I've created a customized program. I have a nonprofit for kids. It's like a big, big deal. So that helped me understand who I am, why I'm a competitive control freak, a little bit of a brat. Um, and what motivates me to action. And now I help others do the same thing. That's really fantastic. And I, and I love your, you've got this, I don't know if it's a tagline, but the idea of uh, get, do, and be better is pretty exciting for really anyone looking to improve and, and get better in their lives. Um, 
Tell us about what's in your it box and how it connects to that, that idea you just talked about. So there's a little box. And um, if you choose to pursue your it, again, you have to qualify to want to do this. You can't just be whining. There's three things in the box. And the first thing in the box is a nail. A nail. Yeah, there was this traveling salesman driving down the road, and he was looking for the eggway plant, and he got lost in farm country. So he pulls into this driveway, and he sees this farmer sitting on the porch smoking his pipe with his dog laying next to him. And he said, excuse me, forgive me, I've gotten lost. Can you give me directions on where to go? So the farmer gives him directions. In the background, he hears the dog like, oh. He's thinking, what's the matter with this dog, right? And he, oh. And so... He finally says to him, what's the matter with your dog? He says, oh, he's laying on a nail. He said, well, why doesn't he get up? He said, because it doesn't hurt bad enough. So the first thing in the box is you have to figure out, do I want to get off the nail or do I want to keep whining? Do I want to get better? What do I need to do to get better? Make sense? Mm -hmm. Second thing in the box is a mirror. So once you know what you want and you're going to stop doing what you're doing, right? You have to be willing to look in the mirror. Who am I? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I do when I mess up? Like golfers, they all try to hit the ball and then they get mad because they don't hit the ball where they want it to go. Well, they don't understand that they're the ones that are holding the club that are making the club do what the ball does. So it's about accountability, responsibility, resourcefulness. You know, I tend to try too hard. So therefore I get over a shot and I try to kill it and then it goes crooked. And it's like, well, guess who did that? You. So that's the second thing in the box. You have to be willing to look in the mirror. The third thing in the box is a tiny little seed. Now, what's that mean? Well, once you know that you're going to get off the nail and you're going to do something about it, you look in the mirror, then you have to start doing something. You have to hit balls. You have to practice. Um, You have to put the seed in water. You have to Put it in the light, you know, you have to nurture it and you have to take care of it. And if you do, there's no telling how good this will end up. And the funny thing is, is that when I, my husband and I were going through all this stuff, I would go to all these counselors and I was like, oh my God, I want to kill him. It was always Alan's fault. It was never my fault. That's where the mirror can't. Hello, why don't you look in the mirror? And so I was going to this counselor and I happened to be a Christian, even though I swear like a truck driver. And, um, I was crying and whining and the tears are coming down my face and the boogers are going in my mouth and I don't have any Kleenex. And the guy gets up and he says, um, hang on, let me get you some toilet paper. So he comes back with this big wad of toilet paper and he says, the Lord told me to tell you something. I looked up, I'm like, really? What did he tell you? Just like a little brat, right? He said, he told me to tell you that he's planted a seed in your life and you need to stop digging it up to see if it's growing. You need to leave it alone. You need to water it. You need to put it in the light and nurture it. And if you do, there's no telling how good this will get. I'm like, oh, okay. So that was 23 years ago. And I am not divorced. And my husband stopped drinking. And we have three beautiful children. And we just had a brand new granddaughter born 20 minutes ago via C-section. And I can't go see her because I'm not allowed in the hospital with the covid but I can tell you that I've now started in a nonprofit. I help children. Uh, I don't care how old you are. As long as you want to pursue your it and get off the nail. Um, so we change lives. That's what we do. 
So tell me about, so getting off the nail is a really interesting concept to me. So in your experience working with people who are stuck, and so for me, if you're stuck, it's you're just sitting on the nail and whining about it. What have you seen as like, what's the driver that finally gets people to say, okay, I'm going to get up? Like what, what's, what have you seen as a pattern that makes that happen? Well, people are motivated by two things. They either want to stop pain or they seek reward. Okay. So sometimes it has to hurt so bad, you know, let's say an alcoholic, you know, my husband was Mm -hmm. Baker acted into a mental hospital in Florida. Two months later, he checked himself in because he relapsed. So how bad does it have to hurt? Are you going to lose your family? You're going to lose your life. You're going to almost die. What are you going to do? Right. Until you stop and say, I'm sick of doing the same old thing for me, like golf shots, my miss goes left of the world. So, Again, I could say, okay, I'm done. I don't want to play anymore. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to freaking defeat this demon. So that's Cindy. That's what motivates me. Do I need to win the tournament? No. So most of my life, I've been motivated by what I don't want rather than what I do want. Like, are you going to lose your business? Your business is falling apart. Whose fault is that? Well, if you're the owner, it's your fault. Well, I've got all these terrible people. Well, fix the people. Fix you, then fix the people. Then everything will change. Maybe you just have to, maybe I'm not supposed to be in this business, right? So it's either I have to stop this pain or I seek to win. You know, I want to be the biggest CEO of the biggest company or whatever it is. You have to have a prize. I don't need a prize. Like, I don't have to have a nice house, but don't try to take my house away from me because I'll kill you. Mm Mm-hmm. Follow? Sure. So what's your why? When you're working with teams like a, so if you're working with a, like a, a team at a company and you know, you're maybe doing some assessments of people and let's say it's a leadership team of you know, make up a number seven people or something. And there are two who, uh, who don't want to get off the nail and five who do, you know, can you as a coach get them off the nail or is that a, is that a sort of a personal decision? It's like, I can't help you unless you want to help yourself kind of thing. Like what, what do you do in that moment? Well, it would depend. So we would do the disc and the motivation assessment, right? So there could be mm-hmm. a high D is a competitive control freak, always driven to make things happen. A high I is a people person, not detail oriented, typically talks a lot, customer service, salespeople, right? A high S is a yeah. steady untrusting, quiet, shy person that doesn't want to speak out. A high C is a detailed control freak. So when I map out a team, everyone sees where Mm -hmm. everyone fits and where they sit and why they have conflict and why they might need to adapt Mm -hmm. their behavior. Now, really good teams need a mixture of all. You can't have all Ds and all Ss and all Cs. Now you mix that with what motivates them. So some people are motivated economically. What's that mean? Bottom line. How long do I have to take this course? What am I going to get out of it? How much does it cost? Why are we doing this? Some people are motivated theoretically. They love to learn new things. So if you have a high C CFO and he's theoretically oriented and wants to learn new things and wants to dot all I's and cross all T's, and you've got a CEO that's a high D that's like, I just want this done. Let's get this done. Now you're going to have conflict. So when you expose all the elephants in the room, it almost becomes funny 
And then they become aware of why they're screwed up. And then they can communicate. And then everything gets better. That's really interesting. Um, are you able to share, maybe like change the name to protect the innocent, but share like a really big turnaround story of someone you've helped or a group you've helped? So there was a very big medical company and no one in the team was motivated by regulatory, which is rule followers. Now, if you're a medical mm -hmm. company, <laughs> I think you should follow rules, yeah. right? <laughs> so this would became funny, right. and I can't tell you who they were, but, but it became funny because they were like, are you kidding me? So I said, somebody has to be the designated rule follower. So needless to say, mm -hmm. I, I, the, out, the outcome becomes they make more money, they increase profits by anywhere from 15 to 25% because they all know how to communicate with each other. And it becomes funny. Like I would walk in and say, look, I know you need all this information. This is the bottom line, what we need. So, because I'm a high D and then they, they yeah. just tease each other. So typically what we do um, is we have, we do the meeting all together because they don't know who I am. And they don't trust me. So they're very shy and don't want to, you know, be open about themselves. Mm -hmm. And then once they get to know me, after we have this session all together, then we do a personal debrief with each person. And then I follow up with the CEO to say, here's what's really going on, because they trust me now and they will divulge what's really bothering them. And then you can, yeah. you can go through it and create solutions which increases you know what i really work. like about when yeah when something gets funny um to me that says that like we've we've broken down the barriers it's like in a way like they're they're confessing yeah you got us cindy you're right <laughs> we really need to have a rule follower we we knew that in our hearts and we almost maybe we're afraid to say it out loud um i think that's like that's a really great breakthrough um did you did you get any sort of um like when you look at the impact of that work um, you know, like over time now that you've been away from it for a while, have you ever done a follow-up to see kind of what lasting impact that kind of work has had for you or for that team? Yeah. And the fact is that they all get along better, that it's more open communication. Yeah. So it's funny how um, you can hear hear dissension, you know, oh, she said this and did it. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you doing? Stop, stop. Let's tell everybody up front what's bothering you, Right. Because nothing's going to get better mm -hmm. if sure. there's all this dissension and backstabbing and talking behind people's back. It's like, grow up. Let's. And I think this may sound bad, but because I'm so blunt and I use mm -hmm. Alan goes with me, my husband goes with me, and we tell our story right up front. And then they're, they're, most of them say to me, I can't believe you shared that. I'm like, well, I want you to know who I am. Yeah. And I want you to know that. Nobody's yeah. perfect and we're all screwed up. And if we're willing to admit it, then everything gets better. So the main thing is communication that and lack of dissension. Mm -hmm. You know, we've done it with banks. We've done it with um, Microsoft World Partner Conference with medical companies. I had a company from uh, yeah. Warren, Pennsylvania, that makes a million cups a week for every theme park in the country. I'm like, really? Who knew that? That's an hour and a half from hmm. me. Early drink works. I've never even heard of them. 
and they had 23 people yeah. on their team. And then sometimes what we do is once we go through the whole debrief and we do the team building, we take them out on the golf course. Not everybody wants to do the golf, but again, you know, I've got law firms and banks and architecture firms that service organizations, accounting firms. Yeah. That And then we add the golf component. Like, do you need to know how to play business golf? Because it's really important that if you're out there, that you don't make a faux pas. And, and I've created a course called From the Back Nine to the Boardroom, which some big universities are paying for all their MBA students to go through yeah. so that they know how to use the game of golf and not make a huge mistake on the course. Not so much hitting the ball, but yeah, yeah, yeah. wise, you know, don't walk here. Don't say this, that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, so maybe as a final thought, you sort of teased out a little bit of, you know, if an organization needs the kind of help that, that you offer that others in your space offer, what are some of the, what are some of like the dysfunctions or sort of signals that maybe it's time to, to look at this kind of work with the team? Frustration, lack of performance, you know, I, how often does that happen? There's, there's a, there's a little thing in your tummy that says something's right, wrong time, right? in Denmark. What honey? Yeah. It happens all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, how bad does it have to hurt before you're willing to change? And and again, it's not yeah. a finger pointing. It's to validate that we are all different, right? And and the fact that I think we share our story cuz I'm a high D and Alan's a high S and that's absolute opposite. Well, why are you attracted to that? Because I need some S cause I don't have any. So mm. S is steady, you know, <laughs> let's read the directions. Why the hell would we read the directions? Let's just do this. Right. So we need yeah. to figure yeah. out that we all need balance and the perfect team is one that has one of everybody, but they're open and willing to admit that sometimes they have to adapt their behavior to speak to someone that's not like them. You know, if I have a, a yeah. student that walks in that's real quiet and shy and their hair is perfect and, and they don't talk much, if I'm in their face, I'm scaring them to death. I have to adapt my behavior. Yeah, I have to be sure. very emotionally intelligent and empathetic to know they don't think like you and don't think that right, everybody right. needs to think like you because they, they don't. So I think it's being open and honest and trying to make yeah, things get better. The other thing I do is I, I have a give a, give a rip meter, right? How much do you give a rip? Mm-hmm. I, I've mm-hmm. got all these kids who want to play college golf that don't practice. I text them after they play bad. How many days a week are you playing nine holes learning how to score? How many playing lessons have you done lately? You know, again, it's like, oh, well, uh, I, I just can't do this. Why? I, you know, do you really want to do this? It's time to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So you got to yeah. know that, you know, standing on the first tee of the U.S. Open with a gun pointed at your head, knowing you have to make the cut or you're going to lose your card. That's clench butt te- cheeks time. Yeah. Right. You willing to work at exactly. it or not? Yeah. So if the giver rip meter is not high enough, don't waste my time. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, Cindy, it has been a pleasure. I'm going to try to get, do and be better myself this week. Thanks to you. Thank you. Um, and it was a pleasure. Love to have you on again sometime. Thank you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I know you can't like and subscribe to every podcast that you listen to, but if you do it for just one this week, I hope it's mine.